seeing all of you is uh, pretty amazing to me on a day like today. Um, but then I was thinking this morning when I got up about a, a trip I had made to Dubai in the United Arab Emirates a couple of summers ago, and it was 128 degrees. And, um, you know, people were out and about, and uh, it was really hot. And we, um, we would run from the taxi to the building, and then run from the building to the taxi. And uh, that's, that's what we do. So it doesn't really slow things down. There you all are. I want to invite you to turn, if you would, to John chapter 4. And um, according to Jesus, in his teaching here, true worship, the kind of worship that God the Father is seeking to make, always, always includes two necessary components. And those two necessary components are feelings for God in our hearts and truth about God in our minds. True worship is always including head and heart. And to offer you an illustration of this kind of worship, I'd like you to listen just for a moment to an account from the personal journal of uh, Jonathan Edwards. Edwards was, uh, some of you are aware, was a pastor who lived, served, during the uh, colonial period of American history. And, and I refer to him because he just he possessed an extraordinary mind. I mean, if, if we think of somebody that was kind of mental in his framework, it, it would be Jonathan Edwards. Very clear thinking, and his preaching and pastoral leadership were so instrumental in that first spiritual great awakening in uh, the 18th, 18th century. So he, here's Edwards in his own words. He says, once, as I rode out into the woods for my health, 1737, having alighted from my horse in a retired place, as my manner commonly has been, to walk for divine contemplation and prayer. So he's talking about personal worship now, right? I had a view that for me was extraordinary of the glory of the Son of God as mediator between God and man and His wonderful, great, full, pure, and sweet grace and love and meek and gentle condescension. This Grace that appeared so calm and sweet appeared ineffably excellent with an excellency great enough to swallow up all thought and conception, which continued, as near as I can judge, for about an hour, which kept me the greater part of the time in a flood of tears and weeping aloud, I felt an ardency of soul to be what I know not otherwise how to express, emptied and annihilated, to lie in the dust and to be full 
of Christ alone. To love Him with a holy and pure love. To trust Him. To live upon Him. To serve and follow Him. And to be perfectly sanctified and made pure with a divine and heavenly purity. I have several other times had views very much of the same nature and which have had the same effects. Now, you know, though his language can strike us as a bit unfamiliar, um, the nature of his experience is, I believe, a, a very profound example of true worship. It includes the necessary element of truth. That is, his mind was clearly focused on biblical truth about Jesus, Jesus being the mediator between God and man. His mind is fixed on the biblical truth about God's grace and mercy to him through the person and work of Jesus. And of course, this is not surprising. Edwards was full of biblical truth. He's prolific in his writing. But his experience may also be accurately described as worship in spirit. And that's because as his mind is filled with this biblical truth about God, his heart is clearly <laughs> captured with affections, feelings of joy and pleasure and delight. So much so that as he says, for an hour, at least, as far as he was able to judge, he was in a flood of tears. This, according to Jesus, is what true worship is. True worship is both in spirit and truth. And Jesus calls every believer, every true believer, not just some... You know, like there's all these believers and then there's some sub, small subset of believers for, that experience true worship. Worship in spirit and truth is, is really at the heart and nature of being, experiencing life, saving life, and converting life of Christ. So today, we're going to focus on what it means to worship the Father in spirit. Next week, we'll linger longer in what it means to worship the Father in truth. And, and my purpose here today is to persuade you. <laughs> I want to persuade you that it is right. It is honoring to God for us to intentionally cultivate earnest, deep, heartfelt affection for the Lord commensurate to the person God has communicated himself to be in his word. So, I mean, we're not just talking about feelings. We're talking about intense affections. So, follow along. Once again, going to read from John chapter 4, verses 20 through 24. The woman said to him, Our fathers worshipped on this mountain. But you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. And Jesus said to her, Woman, 
Believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit. And those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. This is the Word of God. Let's pray. So we're giving our attention, Lord, to something that matters greatly. It matters so much that you would not leave it up for grabs, but you have brought all of your infinite and eternal wisdom and power and greatness and goodness to bear upon it in order that it would happen. True worship. And we are hoping and trusting and confessing, Lord, that, um, well, apart from us, it just couldn't happen. It couldn't happen here. It couldn't happen from us. It couldn't happen through us. Unless you bring this about. And so we seek you, Lord, today and pray that you'd magnify the power of the truth of your word and that you'd bring the presence and active work of your spirit to bear upon us, bringing illumination to our, the eyes of our hearts and bringing life to our souls in order that we might be true worshipers who worship you in spirit and in truth, and that you would be glorified greatly And that we would be full and satisfied uh, fully. We pray this in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. Amen. Well, Jesus put his finger on two problems with Samaritan worship. That is, they were not worshiping in spirit, nor were they worshiping in truth. Their worship was not in spirit in that for the Samaritans, according to verse 20, location was everything. The woman says to Jesus, you know, we worship here. You people say we ought to worship there. And Jesus says, location is irrelevant. You know, the place, the props, the... uh, the bells and the smells and the colored lights and the disco ball or the lights, lights all off and just candles, choir, organ, drums, guitar. None of, none of those external things matter as long as you have heartfelt desire and affection for God. The other problem with Samaritan worship was that they were not worshiping in truth. And that is, we know that they had intentionally walked away from the objective once and for all 
revelation about God as revealed in the Old Testament. They had generated their own Pentateuch, the Samaritan Pentateuch, edited out everything, anything that was inconvenient, uncomfortable, um, and essentially worshipped a God of their own making. And that we'll talk about that again next week. But, you know, anytime somebody says to you, I cannot imagine a God who dot, 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 you know something's off. But true worship, the kind of worship the Father is seeking to make, to generate, to create, is worship in spirit and truth. True worship includes heartfelt desire for and affection for God as He has revealed Himself objectively, truthfully in in this book, the Scriptures. So, now let's take this deeper dive into worshiping the Father in spirit. I want to fan this into flame, God willing. And I'm going to do so, um, I I think there's five principles here that I think might inform what it means for for worship to be in spirit. And first of all, first and foremost, worship in spirit means to have spirit-given, heartfelt desire for God as He is revealed in the Scriptures. So just for a moment here, we'll rewind back to some of what we considered last week. In the Apostle John's writings, the phrase, in spirit, it always refers to one, heartfelt desire for something, and it always refers to, uh, could be and or both of these, something that is given to you by the Holy Spirit. So it's a It's either heartfelt desire for something or something that has been given to you by the Holy Spirit. And usually it's, it's both at the same time. So worshiping in spirit means having real spiritual affection. When Jesus learned that his dear friend Lazarus had passed away, John 11, 33, it says, he, that is Jesus, was deeply moved in His spirit, in spirit is literally what it says, and greatly troubled. He wasn't faking it. He felt it. He felt in spirit. As Jesus foretold his betrayal by Judas in John 13, 21, it says Jesus was troubled in spirit, in his spirit, and testified, truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. So if you've ever felt grief over the loss of a loved one, or you have felt the heartache of having a trusted friend turn on you, those are things you, you know, it's not just something you imagine. You feel that. It is a heartache. And in the same way, true worship, worship in spirit, involves actual, real affections of the heart, robotic Feelingless worship is not true worship. But we also understand that those affections, these feelings deep in our heart, um, in order to be God-honoring affections, must be God-given. John 3, 6 says, That which is born of the flesh is flesh, 
And that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. So when we sinned, our spirits died. It's true for every one of us. All have sinned and fallen short of the capacity of treasuring the glory of God. So our heart capacity to feel love toward the Father, to feel joy and pleasure in the Father, died. This is so crucial to realize and to start with. In order for God to make us into worshipers, true worshipers, He needed to birth in us spirit. That is a heart capacity to once again love and to delight in and to worship Him. You see, loved ones, worship in spirit is spirit given. Real, actual love, desire, pleasure, any affection toward God, that's a gift from God. We just, just pause for a second. Just You know, if I worship, if I want the Lord, if there's any hunger and thirst for Him, that didn't come from me. That's a miracle. It's a miracle. Now, some would argue that, that feelings are uh, optional, frosting on the cake. We used to, in our campus ministry way back in the day, it was called the caboose at the end of the train. In other words, it wasn't all that, it was, wasn't like the engine, it was just sort of something that, you know, if it was there, it was there, it was great, but not so significant. If, if you have re- ever related to Christians who, um, you know, display these extreme mood swings or been in meetings where emotions just were, you know, running wild and manipulated and whipped up, I mean, I know you're tempted because I've been tempted um, to consider feelings then as potentially dangerous, dangerous enemies that cannot be trusted. We need to guard against them. We need to avoid them. You know, restrain them, keep things decent and in order and under control. You know, that means no emotions. But here's the truth. God will not be treasured. God will not be honored. God will not be praised. Sins will not be forsaken. The good news of sins forgiven and the good news of wrath removed will not be told with any passion and energy unless we feel the sweetness of that in our hearts. So, I've got something here. Um, I've got some honey. And you know, I can tell you all kinds of truth about this honey. It's... um. It's U.S. grade A. That's got to be, that's, that's helpful, right? Um, multi-floral clover honey. It's, um, oh my, it's connect, collected from bees um, for aging, a variety of nectar. It's organic. That's, that's important, right? It's probably even good for you. Um, you know, here's something that's profoundly edifying to me. Um, it's Trader Joe's honey. <laughs> Stick it to that you know, prophet middleman. Ah. Uh, I mean, this is, this is all really, really helpful things to know. But friends, you see, there's a world of difference between knowing the truth 
of honey and feeling the truth of honey. So, so this, this is feeling the truth of honey. Mm. <laughs> mm. Mm, 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 mm. Mm. <laughs> mm. Now, see, that is completely different. I, I, I wish you could taste this. Um, <laughs> because, you see, tasting, tasting is completely different than knowing the truth about honey. Many people know the truth of God in their heads, but very few know the truth, have tasted the truth, feel the reality of that truth in their hearts. Worship in spirit means having spirit-given, heartfelt desire, affection, for God as He has revealed Himself in, in the truth of Scripture. And therefore, this is the second thing, without heartfelt desire, without heartfelt desire for God, there can be no true worship. If there is no heart feeling for God, um, and you know, it doesn't really matter, you could be attending some worship conference, you know, I don't know, Chris Tomlin or Hillsong United or, you know, the Gaithers or whatever your, whatever your thing is, you know, could be at the Sanford Center, 10,000 people. If it doesn't matter what else is going on, what, you, you're, you're not doing true worship if there's no heart feeling for God. Now, that's a strong statement, isn't it? But that's precisely what Jesus said about the kind of worship going on in Israel at that time. See, the the Samaritans were not the only ones not worshiping in spirit and truth. The Israelites, this is what Jesus says about the Israelites. He quotes the prophet Isaiah, Matthew 15, 8 to 9. This people, the Israelite people, they honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. Now, the word vain means worthless, empty, counts for nothing before God. Why? Because their heart is far from God. Their heart's affection is focused on something other than God. Why why are heart feelings so important. Why isn't right thinking enough? Well, it's because desiring is worshiping. Our hearts are deceptive, desperately sick, but as John Calvin so famously said, our hearts are a perpetual factory of idols. They just, our hearts just keep cranking them out. They just keep cranking out. And the feelings in our hearts show what we really worship. 
With our lips, we could be singing about God's mercy while our hearts are troubled by tension at work. With our lips, we could be proclaiming God's rule and reign while our hearts are anxious over whether or not our tax refund is going to be enough to pay for that new furnace. Our hearts may be deceitful, but our hearts do not lie when it comes to the true object of our affection. Here's third truth about worshiping in spirit. The Bible constantly, remarkably, constantly emphasizes heartfelt desire. Just, just think about this. The examples of the significance and the necessity of spiritual, of a, spiritual affections, they're just everywhere in the Word. I'm just going to give you a few, all right? Worship involves feelings, for example, of reverence and wonder at the sheer awesomeness of God. Awe, wonder, these are feelings of the heart. When, when the snow is coming down like an inch, a, an hour like it was on Friday morning for a while there, or the lightning strikes the tree, right outside your house, or you, you know, can't catch the sunset at the top of Harney Peak. What do you feel? What do you feel? Awe. Wonder. And if that's how you feel when you see or taste something that God just made with his fingers, then what do you feel when you see or taste the Lord himself? Psalm 33, verse 8. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of Him. Worship involves feelings of reference and wonder at His awesomeness. Second, worship involves feelings of holy fear. Holy fear regarding God's Righteous judgment. Here's a, I think a good example of this is the phrase in Psalm 5, verse 7, which says, I will bow down toward your holy temple in fear of you. So, bowing down toward the Lord, towards the holy temple, his presence in fear of him. That's, that's totally different than the kind of fear or terror that you would feel if you were surrounded by a herd of zombies or, you know, the terror you would feel, um, you know, about, about a potential alien attack in the quiet place. You know, that's a, that's, that's a kind of a, that, that's like paralyzing terror. This is not like that. The kind of, that, for, for instance, wouldn't even be, fear that uh, about worshiping and that wouldn't be worship in truth because the Bible says, Ryan prayed it earlier, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So when you're standing before the Lord in his holy temple and the fear of God's upon you, this is reverential, panic-free affection. How about worship involving feelings of brokenness and sorrow over sin? I mean, so clearly there is a broken-hearted kind of a grief that is fitting when our consciences revolt in recognition that we have 
despised God's goodness and love. I mean, we're just, it's, it's heartbreaking. Psalm 51, verse 17 is an example. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, broken and contrite heart. Oh God, you will not despise. This is a, this is a feeling. <laughs> this is an affection. And there's a kind of a sweetness in it. A humble contrition has a sweetness in it because it's comforting when we know, we recognize that if, if there's a repentant, Humble heart, that's a gift from God. God did that. I, I feel this contrition because God imparted it to me. How good is that? Wor worship involves feelings of longing and desire. You see, as, as we've said, soul thirst is not only a call to worship, but is in itself an affectionate expression of worship. Classic example, Psalm 63, verse 1. Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you. That's a feeling. <laughs> As in a dry and weary land where there's no water. Worship involves feelings of gladness and gratitude on account of God's mercy to us. You know, before um, before you express thanksgiving, um, you feel thanksgiving. You feel gratitude before you express it, right? Psalm 30, verses 11 and 12. You have turned my mourning into dancing. You've loosed my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness. Oh, Lord, my God, on account of all that, I will Give thanks to you forever. I feel it. I'm thankful. Praise you. Your debt's been paid in full. You're cancer-free. What a feeling. I'm not, I, probably barely a month ago, I was, I was having a conversation with a friend, and I, I, I do this way more often than is good, but made one of my typical unthoughtful, unfiltered comments. And, um, and after I did so, I realized, man, I touched a nerve with this friend and uh, had hurt them. And later, to their credit, rather than stuffing it and holding it against me, they, they, um, this friend drew it to my attention and, and how the, the comment was hurtful. No, you know, no passive aggressiveness there. And, and uh, you know, sometimes things like that... Um, um, it can be an, emotion, an occasion for emotional blackmail, you know. I, I didn't mean to say anything hurtful, and I didn't. But, you know, they felt hurt, so, you know, I'm going to hold it against you. If this was not the case, um, I was out of line, and because of it, I just felt awful. I mean, I just, I was just tormented, just knots in my stomach. I was, and, uh, man, what an idiot are you? And, um, and so... To my relief, we had a conversation, and I apologized. I got, you know, sincerely, and um, this friend forgave me. And, and it was, I mean, it was like the emotional feeling equivalent of a hundred-pound sack being lifted off my gut. I mean, it's I could breathe again. Worship is like that. Worship involves feelings of delight and joy. In God himself. So 
If God is the most excellent, most glorious, most beautiful, most happy, most generous, most honor-worthy being in existence, then worshiping him must include real affections of real joy. Psalm 27, 4. One thing have I asked of the Lord, and that will I seek after, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. Why do you gaze upon beauty? It's because it's so sweet. It, it, it's pleasure to do so. It's a joy. So depending on your temperament type, I suppose, or your Christian heritage, um, I think it's pretty typical that the spectrum of our, of our spiritual affections can be severely narrow. Um, th that is, you know, if you've been shaped by some traditional conservative end of the spectrum, the, the defining motion, uh, emotion of your, of your uh, spiritual worship, your, your emotional vocabulary is, is about pretty much one thing, morbid introspection, controlled seriousness. I mean, if you don't feel some variation of heavy conviction, the spirit cannot be in it. On the other hand, at the other end of the spectrum, for those of you who have been unleashed from soul-crushing religion, the, the only clear sign of true worship is, you know, that tingling chicken skin, tears of joy. And, and, and somewhere, you know, in between is this balanced, oh, you know, we're just sort of laid back now and positive and, you know, borderline comedic and always chipper. Um, true worship is, loved ones, it's an entire palette of spiritual affections. It's the whole thing. Appropriate and fitting, not according to our culture or personal comfort zone, but according to who God actually is and who He has communicated Himself to be. God commands and inspires this broad, I think, healthy spectrum of heart feelings. And therefore, there are two errors that I think that we need to avoid when it comes to the lack of such feelings. The, the, the first is to never surrender. Never give in to lack of heart desire for God. Easy to say for a pastor who got up this morning and it was 5.30 and it, was, it felt good to be under the covers and it was dark and I really just, I'm, I looked at my phone and it said 16 below, 34 below wind chill and I'm thinking, oh man, I do not really want to get up and go out today. But because I'm the pastor, i got to fight this off, right? So um, for you, there could be all kinds of reasons, all of which fit into the category of soul thirst, right? I mean, it could be you're discouraged about something, some pain, some sadness, some loneliness, some discouragement, some anger, some hopelessness. I mean, the list goes on and on and on about why you would just like, let's just chill today. Um, we're tempted to 
passively surrender to that cool, dull, cold emptiness. Soul thirst is real. But isn't it dishonoring to God if we just respond passively, stuck in our distractions, stuck in our dullness and coldness? A second error to avoid is pretending. Pretending like that we actually have heart desire for God when we actually don't have heart desire for God. You you know, your heart is dull, your heart is empty, your heart is cold, your affection is somewhere less than white hot. Um, At least it's lower than the temperature commensurate with the glory that God has revealed to us, is communicating himself to us even right now. But you deny the reality of this emptiness. You ignore that reality. Kind of that's your response is like, you know, I'm just not even gonna acknowledge it. And you pretend to yourself and you pretend to others that there is heart desire for God when there is none, in fact. Both of those errors, that, that is giving in, surrendering to this lack of heartfelt desire for God, or um, pretending that you know you have it when you don't, those are both dead ends. They don't go anywhere. They leave you with no heartfelt desire for God. And, and it really ultimately just leaves you with nothing more than vain worship. It's empty because we're still at the same place. Our hearts are far from God. So listen Listen to what the Bible says about these, when, when, when we're tempted to think that way. I think it's helpful to remind ourselves of these commands. These are commands to feel things. Psalm 37, 4. Delight yourself in the Lord. What do you do with that command? Feel pleasure in the Lord. You just, ah, well, you know, that's just optional. It's no big thing. A... How about Psalm 34, 9? Fear the Lord, you his saints. What do you do with this command to feel, reverence, awe? Psalm 32, 11. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous. Feel joy. <laughs> feel delight, feel reverence and awe. How do you do that? How do we just, you know, we, we, don't, we don't just turn feelings on and off like a faucet. Nevertheless, these are God-given biblical commands. And this is why we must never surrender to lack of heart desire or pretense. Now, you could... I suppose one strategy would be is to decide to wait. Just, just wait. Wait for the Holy Spirit. It sounds like a reasonable spiritual strategy. And, and it would be half right, but it would only be half right because there are actual steps that we can take, things that we can do rather than just passively 
waiting to receive the work of the Holy Spirit. So I'm, I'm going to close with just these two things. And then we uh, are going to give our attention to a great work that God has done. Two specific steps for experiencing fresh, discernible manifestations of the Spirit's presence and power. The first of all, first one would just be simply to ask for it. Pray for it. Pray for a renewed work of the Holy Spirit. I mean, it seems obvious, but, you know, until we do it, it hasn't happened. And, and it's helpful to be mindful then, again, that the only reason that we would ever have genuine, heartfelt desires, affections for the Lord is because the Holy Spirit has birthed them in us. That's the only reason. And if you remember that, that that which is born of the flesh is flesh, but that which is born of the Spirit is spirit, then it makes sense to ask the Holy Spirit to do that. The only reason there's faith, the only reason there's wonder, there's the only reason that there's freedom from worry, the only reason that there's reverence for the Lord or tender-hearted humility, or the only reason there's repentance and sorrow for sin, the only reason that there's joy or peace or patience or self-control or any other manifestation of the Spirit is because the Spirit made it happen birthed it, caused it to happen. And so then the only way to be renewed is by the Spirit. And so we pray. We've, we've referred to this many times. This, this is one of those verses that we probably ought to have memorized. Luke 13, 11, 13. If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, well then how much more? Will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? If there aren't any heartfelt desires for God, ask Him for them. Pray earnestly, Lord, for the sake of the praise of Your name, for the sake of true worship, for the sake of your glory, for the sake of my soul satisfaction, set me free. Set me free from this worry. Set me free from this distraction. Set me free from this whatever in the world it is that's robbing me of heartfelt desire and joy and pleasure in you. And don't just sit and pray and wait. Here's another step. Set your mind upon the truth of who God is in His Word. And this is what we're going to give our attention to mainly next week. But for now. But where else do we get spirit? Where else do we get life that awakens the heart, heart's desire for God? Jesus says in John 6, 63, It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is of no avail. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. So the, the words of Jesus, it's, it's the word of God that, that speaks into our hearts and souls, spirit and life. So we set our minds on the truth of who God has communicated himself to be in his word. And we pray, oh Lord, meet me. Open the eyes of my heart. Open our eyes. Open our hearts, oh Lord.
my heart is so preoccupied. My heart is so dull. I would so much rather stay in bed today. Lord, I, I, but I remember when we've met before. You've met me before. You've revealed yourself to me before. Do that again. Do that again for your name's sake. Revive my soul. Deliver me. Set my heart on fire. Commensurate. Let my feelings be commensurate to the glory of who you are. And pray it and sing it and set your mind on the truth of of it until we begin to warm again. Until our hearts are ablaze again with real affection for the Lord as he has revealed himself to us in the person and work of Jesus. Let's pray. So right now, Lord, we, we do this. We do this. We're, we're going to do these two things. And on behalf of these friends, loved ones here, I ask you, in Jesus' name, I ask you, for the sake of your praise and honor, would you bring your power to bear upon us now? Holy Spirit of God, come now. Bring illumination now. Open our eyes now. Open our hearts now. Come upon us in strength and power and reality. And let us so sense, taste the reality of the beauty and the glory and the nearness of God, our Savior. Lord, help us to feel the reality of that. And help us specifically to feel the reality of that in this moment to come. In the wonder and the wisdom and the love and the fullness of glory expressed in you saving sinners through our Lord Jesus Christ. Oh God, you made Jesus the innocent one, the pure one. You made this man, Jesus, who knew no sin, you made him to become sin, to bear sin, so that in union with him, joined to him, made one with him by faith, we might become counted as the very righteousness of God. holy, blameless, spotless, debt-free, record-clear in the court of heaven. This is the gift that you've given in our Savior Jesus. 
And it's in this, Lord, we now glory. We glory and we partake of this by faith. We love our Savior. Intensify, intensify the heart affection for our Savior, Jesus Christ. We're not going to sit here passive today, Lord, and kind of wait for something to happen. We're leaning in. We're calling on you. We're crying out to you. You've promised that those who seek you, you you will withhold no good thing. You will withhold nothing that is is crucial for us to to fulfill your calling. And your calling on our lives is is to be worshipers, true worshipers. So you've promised that you're not going to hold back what we need to be that. We're hoping in you now. And thank you that we can fix our minds in this experience now on this glorious truth of a great Savior in whose name we pray. Amen.